Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're talking about the new Marvel movie Shang-Chi. And we're talking about that with Paul Hoppy and Will Freeland. All that and more right after this commercial break. We have no control over. Welcome back. My name is Matthew. I'm your host. And I want to get just two quick pieces of business out of the way before I jump into this. Uh, first, for those of you who are also a subscriber to my Star Wars Universe podcast, that is on a bit of hiatus at the moment. Uh, all of my normal hosts have all decided to move to California or different parts of... Or from California. Yeah. Yeah. All... Let me read that. Your permanent guest, Paul, doesn't count. <laughs> Stop giving all this great content. Right, screw it. I'll just leave all that in. All of my normal hosts are either from or... Yeah. All of my normal hosts are either moving to or away from California at the moment, uh, and so have understandably not been able to record on Star Wars. We will be starting on Rebels fairly soon. I'm probably going to get some kind of Star Wars content out this week or next about kind of just the state of Star Wars or diving into something else, but that podcast hasn't gone away, I promise. Second piece of quick business, uh, the entire Stranded Panda Network right now is doing a review contest. Uh, basically, there's a raffle, and if you win, you can get a... Oculus 2 or a Nintendo Switch. I recently discovered the um, highly addictive game that is Fire Emblem Three Houses. So as my partner and I are fighting over who gets to use the Switch in our house, a second Switch sounds like a very good idea. Oculus Virtual Reality, I've also heard, is amazing. So if you want a chance to win either of these, you get to choose if you win. All you have to do is write a five-star review for one of the podcasts on the Stranded Panda Network. Obviously, I would love it if you wrote one for Star Wars Universe podcast or for this podcast, Superhero Ethics. And you can also write them, though, for MCU cast, Animation Deliberation, uh, the Book Club podcast, PandaVision, any of them. And even better, you can write them for multiple. Everyone, every review you write for a, a podcast, as long as it's five star, and, you know, make it an actual review. Don't just say, I'm putting in this review so I can win. You know, say something good about the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, check it out. Great, great reason to check it out. If you write reviews for three of them, you have three entries into the raffle. If you write reviews for all of them, you have that many entries into the raffle. So definitely check it out. Um, I always want, uh, I always want reviews for this podcast and Star Wars Universe podcast anyway. So I always appreciate that. You can write a review, even if you've done one before, but now you have an extra incentive. So if you do it anytime during the month of September, you get entered into that raffle. So Thank you all for that. Now there's two pieces of business out of the way. Will and Paul, I am so glad we're getting together to talk about this movie, especially because we weren't sure if we were all going to see this movie. So <laughs> how y'all doing today? How are you feeling about the movie? I'll let you go first, Paul. Um, yeah, also write a five-star review for Hype is My Superpower, even though you won't get Aww. Oculus. It's yes, just... <laughs> yes. I was going to put 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 that uh, at the end. But yes, good point. Um. Yeah, I'm. Oh, how am I doing? That's a long answer. <laughs> um, I loved the movie. Uh, I did manage to see it at m my very first trip to a drive-in theater. Uh, okay, nice. <laughs> I I was. Yeah, it's. <sighs> how am I doing? I Look, mean, the I movie's all about traditions in the past. So going into our own ancestors' traditions of the 1950s, I think you know is an appropriate way to watch this movie. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know. My I actually got. Um, Food from Monty's. It's a, a vegan diner right afterwards. So I, I felt like I was living in the 50s. Um, nice. You know, tales from my, my mom's childhood. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, the the experience of seeing it in, in a drive-in, I think, 
hindered some of the stuff, like some of the the fight scenes, particularly the the sort of darker ones, like the the scaffolding mm-hmm. one and uh, the you know the CGI mm-hmm. fest at the end. But there's this was the Marvel movie that I was looking forward to. Actually, it's kind of like the first movie I've been looking forward to since like Jason Bourne. Um, mm-hmm. And like Jason Bourne hurt me, so I, <laughs> I was very relieved to to enjoy this movie a lot. I, I was looking forward to Endgame too. I won't. I, I, I yeah. shouldn't undersell that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Will? Um. So personally, I'm doing pretty well. I uh, during the pandemic, they introduced uh, they being like movie theaters introduced this whole thing where you can like rent out a whole theater for like 150 bucks and bring up to 20 people. Uh, mm-hmm. with you uh so like theaters can start generating some sort of income and um traffic again but it's also you know theaters usually hold a few hundred people so um it's it's you know socially distant and relatively responsible so anyway i did that for uh shang chi among like a handful of other movies throughout the pandemic and it was great and amazing and um a lot of fun i had a great time watching this movie, um, I I really liked some of the decisions that were made for uh, the adaptation of moving Shang Chi from the comics to the to mm-hmm. the big screen and the MCU. Um, I was I was skeptical for a lot of it, um, or like le- leading up to it, I was wondering how they're going to do some things, what they're going to do, how they're going to make it fit, and I feel like they addressed most of my concerns and it uh, worked out pretty well. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And and that honestly is the first ethical question I wanted to dive into. We're not going to do a, a straight review of the movie. Obviously this is the ethics podcast, although how we feel about the movie is a big part of that. And I want to give a spoiler warning kind of as part of this first topic, because the very question of, of should you go see this movie right now with all the pandemic concerns that are there right now? Uh, I also, you know, it, all three of us took different precautions. In my case, I bought tickets for an 11 a.m. showing on a weekday uh, and kind of kept monitoring to see how many people had bought tickets. Uh, there were only wind up being nine people in the theater with us. and We were able to sit like a number of rows away from everybody, masks on, all that stuff. And um, I, I'm glad I saw the movie. I respect uh, very much that some people have not had the chance to see the movie, either because they don't feel safe doing something like that or because there's some parts of the world where the movie is just not being shown, uh, largely often because of pandemic precautions or some places where the movie is just not being shown at all. Like China. Like China, which is a whole other story <laughs> that we'll not get into. But So, spoiler warning, um, I thought a lot about could we talk about a lot of this movie without spoilers, because I really want to include people who haven't seen the movie yet. I don't think there really was a way to do that without making this podcast three hours long, um, which is just not something we can do, unfortunately, at this point. Uh, So there will be spoilers. I think there have been one or two already, but hopefully pretty mild ones. So if you've not seen the movie yet and you do want to, uh, please, you know, feel free to hit pause. This movie will this podcast episode will still be available in five or six weeks when it goes on Disney Plus. So I'm I'm sorry we can't do that Uh, for for everyone who's seen who hasn't seen it yet. But that's actually kind of my first question is. I went to see the movie because I, I, I felt like I, I needed to be able to talk about it with you all and I didn't want to wait six weeks. But I admit, I wasn't happy about it. And I am, on the one hand, I get why they they wanted this movie to do as well as it should. And I, I wanted it to do well because it's the first Asian American superhero we've had or first Asian superhero we've had in, in Marvel's cinematic universe uh, getting their own movie by any means. But 
I'm not feeling great about the fact that you had to go to a movie theater to see this. And I'm really wishing they'd put it on Disney Plus as well. What What are your all thoughts on just this whole question of going to see a movie during the pandemic and everything like that? Yeah, I mean, I've got a mix of sort of to each their own and like, what are we doing as, like, human civilization collectively? Like, Mm -hmm. so without getting too deep into that and that, like, I kind of think coronavirus is just going to become endemic and human lifespans have just lost a year or two. um, Mm -hmm. And, like, feeling kind of filled with terrible sadness and rage, like... For the last, sorry, I mean to laugh at that, but yeah, the way you phrase it is pretty much for all my life, but more specifically mm-hmm. for the last while. Um, yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's it's funny, but not funny, you know. <laughs> but I I feel like Disney not having. I, I feel like releasing a movie now without having concurrent streaming. Um, like, I I think it's really bad. I don't think. Yeah. I don't think it should be the way movies are released anymore. And I don't think that's just because of the pandemic. Just, like, thinking about it, it's, like, it's never only going to be, like, right now there's a lot of people who might not want to see it because of whatever risks. But there's always going to be a good number of people who just can't go to a theater, right? Yeah, whether that's because of, like, their schedule or because of mental or physical disabilities that makes getting out of the house difficult. I mean, uh, or, like, other, like, high levels of immunocompromised, things like that. Yeah, there's... There's never going to be a time when everyone is going to have a best experience seeing it at the theater by any means. And personally, I just feel like like being able to see Black Widow at home when it came out was like, I was like, I would always like to have this option personally without even having any, you know, big other reasons, you know, right. like health reasons. And so I, I do, I the fact that this was the only movie that I was like really looking forward to. And that then it was going to have this, like, 45-day theatrical-only release, which, like, yeah, I do want the movie to do really well. As much as, like, I've got complaints about Disney as a company, I think the whole, like, so they had Black Widow in July, right, when things were a certain level of bad, and it was released with concurrent streaming, and then now they have Shang-Chi without concurrent streaming, and things are substantially worse than they were in July... And, you know, there's the whole thing about, like, um, like compensation, right? There's probably a lot fewer actors, or maybe none, or people involved in this movie. A lot fewer people have points in the movie than to, like, get a percentage of the box office, right? Right. Than was true with Black Widow. So it's sort of like, oh, well, they're not screwing anyone this time. It's like, yeah, but they probably don't, they don't have an actor who's an executive producer on the film, you know? <laughs> which usually comes with with points. So it feels a little bit to me like, mm, you know? Um, yeah. But like, and I really want could have been the movie that they did concurrent. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Where it's like, and you probably wouldn't have had, I mean, I don't know the details of anyone's contract, but I imagine that even though, you know, Simu Liu is like really popular in Canada, he's kind of just breaking through in, in, you know, internationally right and in the united states and like tony leung is like a legend of hong kong cinema but this is i think this is hollywood debut you know which is which is insane to me because he's just amazing and um i want to see him in everything but uh (laughs) it, it just i don't know it it feels like 
I mean, I went through a process of like, yeah, I'm not going to see anything when it comes out and I'm just going to completely shut myself off from like social media or like, I don't want to see any spoilers to being like, well, I'm probably not going to be able to avoid spoilers. So I guess I'll see some to like, I really want to see it. And I was like, well, you know, maybe we can go see it like on Tuesday morning at 11 a.m., which is like roughly when we're recording this podcast. Uh, And so I was kind of leaning towards that plan. And then we got some horrible news that, you know, someone in our family has an illness and we're going to have to take them to the hospital and, and we're going to be around them a lot. And like, now that the equation went from being a concern about my own risk to a concern about someone else's risk. And, you know, and that's the thing about this whole situation is just that sort of how interconnected everything is and how our own decisions aren't just what risk we're taking for ourselves, but they're always also risks that we're taking for people who are going to be around us. And, um, and then, then yesterday Lee, or the day before Lee was just like, Oh, why don't we go to the drive-in? I was like, Oh my goodness, the drive-in. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's amazing. You know? And, and then I got the radio and then she's like, yeah, I don't really want to go. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so I went to the drive-in by myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you raise uh, so many of the good points here. And it's, uh, again, I, I don't want to make this all about like the ethics of the industry right yeah. now. That's a, That could be a whole other podcast, but it feels very relevant here, especially because I, I feel like right now there's two very separate issues that are unfortunately getting conflated a lot. One of which is, is it responsible to put movies in theaters, let alone putting them in theaters at all, but especially only in theaters? Mm-hmm. And then a second issue, which really should be separated, which is, you know, can you switch to Disney Plus? You know, can you switch to online release and in theaters in a way that is equitable for all these people who signed contracts based on the idea that it would only be in theaters first? Right. And I I don't like the idea that we are screwing over some people whose contracts were based on box office only. Mm-hmm. But I think, unfortunately, I think the way it's playing out is that's becoming, okay, so we will go back to box office only, yeah. which is, I think, far worse. I agree. Yeah, I think so. The lawsuit uh, around ScarJo is kind of something. It's a conversation. It prompted a conversation that needed to be had in like in cinema going forward. Where to Paul's point, and I agree that we should have hybrid releases going forward. Then that raises the conversation of okay, but now contracts need to be like reassessed and so i feel like for the movies that have been delayed or that are just coming out brand new this year that's going to be like murky waters and Mm -hmm. i i feel like as you know not even two months after uh black widow came out and because of that backlash and because of how much press that that lawsuit got they're not going to do a hybrid for at least the rest of the year until they figure out on their end in the back back office how they price out contracts and and get things worded out that way um so yeah i i don't i support the idea of hybrid one for the um uh having the ability to choose but then also to our to points that you guys have made already of people who just aren't able to go or aren't comfortable going to the theater uh like i have a really good friend who has really uh intense social anxiety 
and Mm -hmm. he can't go he's like a good friend of mine but he can't go to these like group outings that i like planned with my friends uh because it's like crippling for him to go out and do that kind of stuff but oh my gosh how great would it be if i could have like five friends over including him and we could watch it at home Mm -hmm. um so like i would love to have that option um but like i personally like i get super amped on the theater experience and so given the choice between the two i will pretty much always choose a theater um outing but it's the act of having the choice versus like having that taken away from having that choice made for me i guess now knowing that we could do a hybrid release and there have been successful movies that had hybrid releases like there there from my perspective as a consumer there's no reason not to just do hybrid going forward yeah i, I agree with basically everything you just said mhm yeah, I mean, people like your friend, that's exactly what I meant when I talked about how it's like both physical and mental issues can yeah. be, you know, really hard in terms of, in terms of, uh, you know, theaters aren't for everyone. And I think that just more options is always going to be a better thing. So Absolutely. But I, I do, I, you know, I think it was though very important for this movie to, to not only come out, but do well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that it does seem to have been doing well. Uh, and it's obviously because um, the issue of representation. And uh, I, I want to click just say as a disclaimer, um, with all the things going on, you know, um, getting guests for this podcast was not the easiest thing in the world. I'm so glad you two could do it. Uh, some other folks who I might have had as guests either haven't seen the movie or haven't been able to see the movie or things like that or just schedule things have been hard. And so, you know, we're going into talking about a movie that is obviously very important in part because uh, the star and, and quite a number of the people are Chinese or Chinese-American. Uh which is not something that applies to any of the three of us. So there's a lot of great Chinese voices and Chinese-American voices that have been talking about this movie, and I really want to kind of recommend people check those out as well, and I'll post some links in the show notes. Um, But I know for both of you, there are some ways in which uh, that aspect of the movie really connects to you. Um, And so I I want to kind of have the conversation with the three of us, but but kind of name that as a disclaimer to begin with. Uh, But let me kind of just throw it out to a question for you. Obviously, people have talked a lot about, you know, why it was so important uh, that this be a Asian American superhero, and and kind of all that dynamics of that. We've talked about representation in general, but for you all, what why was that important, and and kind of what are the different aspects of that that go into this movie? Oh, do you want me to go first, Paul? I, I, I was I was gonna <laughs> let you go first. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So for me. So I, my, my mother is Japanese American and, um, throughout my entire life, she's been a huge advocate of representation of all, um, minorities or, um, uh, like, um, what is anything that's not just race? Uh, like, you know, ethnicity, but like, uh, like gender and oh, yeah. uh, sexual orientation, like representation for for all oppressed groups. I guess I mm-hmm. guess I could say, um, and so that's that subject has been in the back of my mind. And as a kid, I never really gave it much weight. Um, I live in a town that is primarily uh, white and. Um, of a larger income average than than your typical um american and uh and so you know we grew up or i grew up on um like scholarships or um 
uh, financial aid and that kind of stuff. And so, but that never really became an issue in my, in my face until like college when Mm. my parents don't have enough money to pay for my college, but they make too much to qualify for financial aid. Mm. And so I have to take out student loans and then I spend, you know, years and years and years paying those off. It's a whole thing. But, um, uh, representation, especially from the Asian side, like it was such a huge deal when black Panther came out for the same reason, uh, for like African Americans and being able to see, um, Someone that looks like them, uh, looks looks like an African American, uh, being on the screen and being uh, the title character. It's the same thing for for uh, Asian kids. So we we I mean <laughs> semi we uh, a- Asian Asian children don't have a whole lot of um, people that they can look up to as far as like title characters. And I'm trying to think of like other main asian american or asian um characters main 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 characters from like other properties and just i can't really think of any um like ming na wen's character in agents of shield um i think a lot of the tv show there's a lot of the tv shows from marvel and from other things have had strong asian characters um yeah uh, and then but yeah none of them have been like the title one (laughs) Right. Yeah, but there's and, never and it's been like a title never, like um, <laughs> Asian American men. Yeah, and then on top of that, uh, when you get that kind of representation in, say, like a cartoon, like a Saturday morning cartoon or something, their accent's always very strong. Like they they fit into like a stereotype, and uh, you don't really get that in Shang Chi, uh, as far as like fitting into a stereotype and uh, like. Uh, well, you're breaking up hard on to understand accents and that kind yeah. of stuff. I'm sorry. Uh, you're breaking up on us. Uh, is that your internet having problems? Gosh, maybe it's maybe it's me. I don't know. You were breaking up on me too, so maybe it's maybe it's me. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm hearing a, a, the same thing. Damn it. Well, it now though, it sounds fine now. Okay. Uh, oh. like so. I, my only other point was like when you have Asian characters that are the main characters in like cartoons and stuff usually they have really strong accents and like they fit mm-hmm. into like a stereotypical asian character um and having and you don't get that in the shang chi movie and i really liked that it was like you know the, it's this kid that you know spent the last half of his life in san francisco in america he's probably not going to have a very strong accent so they don't give him a strong accent <laughs> mm-hmm. um and so it's it's the small little things of representation and realism uh, that I really liked in this movie. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you mention. Um, I I would say that I I get my first perspective on kind of the importance of representation from my mom as well. Uh, both my parents worked in film. My dad was a cameraman. My mom was a film editor, and um, she would often you know point out how poor female representation was in film in the film industry mm-hmm. as well. I mean, she's, she's got stories about that, but, um, you know, and describe like the one female character as like the Smurfette in, you know, basically all fiction. Um, I, I think when it comes to, you know, Asian representation or Asian American representation, it's clearly, it's just been so lacking. I, I mean, 
in in Hollywood cinema, right? And you'll have kung fu movies, and th- that's honestly that's one of the, that was like my first concern about like Shang Chi being the first, um, you know, Asian right. American or Asian led superhero film was like, oh, he's just like a guy who does kung fu, so like you're just kind of it felt like maybe they weren't going to do something new. You know, maybe mm-hmm. they were just going to have mm. a bigger budget Kung Fu movie, which like, I love Kung Fu movies. Like, I I think they could be great, you know, but right. it's not the same thing as a superhero movie. And yeah, yeah. I think we talked at one point about Jimmy Woo yes. and how awesome it is to have an Asian character in the MCU who isn't a martial artist in any way, mm-hmm. but he's also not like, he's a bit of a nerd, but he's like good with guns. Clearly, you know, he's good in a fight, but he's not a martial artist. Yeah. Like Asian FBI agent isn't like a stereotype that I'm aware of, you know, right. Um, who, who likes, you know, learns prestidigitation from a superhero. Like he's, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and so, yeah, I, I think, He's an example of great representation. I'd love to see him get his own series, maybe one with Darcy, you know, I don't know, like the Hex Files, whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, I, I I think that, but like, if you think about all the Asian characters in the MCU to date, it's like, there's it's not a long list, you know? And I mean, I do think like Wong's relevant, you know? Um, there is maybe the the kind of like mis- magical Asian stereotype or whatever that I saw someone saying that's why they, um, you know, whitewashed uh, the ancient one to like avoid that, which mm. would be a concern. Although I, I think that was more um, to appease the Chinese government regarding Tibet, because I think the ancient one was supposed to be Tibetan, but yada, yada, yada. Um I I mean, for, for me, like, I mean, so my wife is Chinese American. Um, we spend a lot of time with her family. You know, I, w- I would say we're, I would say I'm fairly close with them. Um, and um, so seeing, there, there were a lot of things that, you know, I, I felt I could relate to personally from, from my experience that I, you know, know from reading other people's accounts. Um, it, it felt like not... It felt like a portrayal by people of a certain group as opposed to of people of a certain group, you know, and mm. that's what I like. There were just really small details like when when he goes into the apartment, you know, Katie's family's apartment, like he just takes off his shoes, you know, and that's like two seconds of the movie. I think literally. Right. It's just like one shot. But that's like a relevant detail, but there's not a big like explanation of it. It's not treated like some unusual moment, you know? And like when, when he gets a a bowl of porridge for breakfast, the, you know, the, the show, like that's like what you'd have for breakfast. And you know, the conversation that they have it, to me, it feels authentic, not, not having grown up in, in that setting or culture, but having, you know, constant contact with it for like the last 20 years, more or less. Um, although again, you know, in the movie they're, they're speaking Mandarin. Um, you know, my wife's family speaks Toysanese, which is closer to Cantonese, which also was what Tony Leung and, and I think Michelle Yeoh speak, um, originally, you know, and they also speak Mandarin, but like, I think it's always important to remember within, within this, any particular kind of, within the scope of representation, 
there's always going to be a certain level of specificity that isn't necessarily going to resonate with everybody who you would maybe think it does. And that might also resonate with some people that you might not think it does, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I I think it does. I think that's a really well-made point. You know, I mean, obviously, we're we're talking about China. It's a country of 1.2 billion people, you know, and so it's more (laughs) akin to like, you know, it's almost like... It's like 20% of the world, almost. Yeah. And so, like, of course, the idea of like multiple languages, multiple different, you know, cultures within that culture, things like that. And and I love the things you pointed out about the, um, like, the taking off the shoes, the porridge. One that I pointed, one that I really noticed, and I I wanted to confirm with you, Paul, we did that off the air beforehand because I I thought this was true, but... but I wanted to make sure I was right since I'm I'm not someone who has much contact there. Um, in most Western movies where it's like fiction, you know, science fiction or fantasy or Star Wars or something like that, red is almost always the color of the bad guy. You know, the the bad guy is going to wear red or like have a, the Sith have the red lightsabers or like the magic is going to be more red tinted when it's, um, you know, the evil wizard or whatever it is. Not always, but that's kind of often the association. And I remember noting as I was watching this movie that, you know, uh, you know, I noticed for Wen Wu's character, when he was using the rings, like the magic that he does is blue. And I was like, that's that's interesting because that's when he was doing it, like as this conqueror, as the, you know, the people like the people who are afraid of oranges thought of as a Mandarin, um, which is a great joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> and, and then when um, uh, Shang-Chi gets the rings, they become like goldish red. And all the, the, the dragon scale weapons are like this reddish, goldish color, and they're wearing red. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because the the idea of red being the color of anger and aggression and evil is very much a Western concept. And in China, and I, I like that they kind of uh, lampshaded this just a tad by making sure to show a wedding picture where of uh, Shang-Chi's parents where... Uh, she was wearing a red, a red wedding dress because my understanding is that 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 color has very it means like good fortune and good luck and things like that and not by any means the sort of negative connotations we have with it in connection to like uh you know magic and stuff like that uh in in you know american cinema yeah i think that's a good example of of basically just um including something and and having it be kind of fundamental to the you know, the visual look of the story and the the kind of color symbolism without kind of making a big deal of it, yeah. you know, and, and I always appreciate that. And that's, that's not to say that you shouldn't make a deal, a big deal out of things when you want to. But I think one, one thing that I, that I really appreciated was like the scene where, um, where Katie's kind of, I think explaining how they met. I'm not sure. Maybe mm-hmm. it was just a college experience, but um, where where somebody was, you know, um, asking um, Shang Chi or asking Sean, like, yeah, but where are you from? From you know, which uh, <laughs> I th- I think a lot of people <laughs> understand as a, a very you know can can be a very racist xenophobic question, and yeah, it's very very otherized exactly, you know? and and so. Um, I mean, I, I, I had a friend on, on lighting crew who somebody was like, you know, they're like, where are you from? And he's like, Queens. And he's like, yeah, but where are you from? He's like, Flushing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he was born in Flushing. Like, that's where he's from. And I, I appreciate that they, like, didn't show that scene. Because it's like, I don't think you need to show 
someone being harassed, like, you know, um, every movie that you have, but, right. you know, every, every movie where you're representing someone who might be harassed for a particular thing, whether, whether it's, you know, because of race or gender or um, orientation or, or anything. But I think they kind of lampshaded it where they're kind of like, yeah, racism exists in this world. We're going to kind of remind you of that. But while we're doing that, we're going to really be establishing these characters and not right. like put it in your face in this really visceral way. And it's like, and I feel like you shouldn't always have to deal with it where it, like sometimes you could do Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you know, but mm-hmm. sometimes you can not, I think. Yeah. There's a great meme that's been going around a lot of fan sites uh, talking about like, you know, that if every movie about uh, this one's specific to, to black folk, but like it's saying, look, we every black character's hero, every black hero's origin story shouldn't be, you know, grounded in racism. Right. And and people made similar ones about like you know every woman's woman hero like it shouldn't always be that like she got her superpowers because of sexism mm-hmm. you know and I I think it's kind of a similar thing here and I, I I really appreciated that in this movie like racism is mentioned a little bit uh, kind of in the shadows but it's much more about but it, it's it it's not really about racism in any way but it is very much about his experience shang chi's experience as an asian american kind of like all the stuff he talks about about you know running away from his tradition and like uh his his family and changing his name obviously in his case it's for some very specific reasons and a, a very specific origin that he has very negative feelings about for very good reasons. But I know a lot of the stuff I've read has been from, you know, uh, uh, a- Asian immigrants or first generation or, or people even of other immigrant experience talking about how much they could relate to that in terms of, um, you know, uh, uh, in terms of that struggle of like, do you take a westernized name because people are not going to pronounce be, do, you, do you take a westernized name or do you, you know, make people learn your name and pronounce it properly or how much do you kind of like assimilate or things like that and i i love that his shang chi story was very much kind of a reference to those sort of things okay everybody so apologies um we had to stop for one second will was having real technical problems unfortunately his internet has now gone out uh and we we tried a couple things to get him back didn't work uh really sucks would love to have him uh have more of his feedback especially because he knows so much about the comics he's hopefully going to be sending in some texts to us that we can read and discuss uh, but until then, uh, it'll be me and Paul continuing. So, Paul, let's uh, jump back into the conversation. So, from what I recall, you were just talking about kind of the, um, you know, Shang-Chi's, like, journey of growing up in China and then moving to the United States and kind of mm-hmm. having that, I guess, sort of maybe tension in his identity and not kind of feeling like he knew exactly who he was and, and how these different things fit in with his um, his own identity. I I think that's a very strong theme, and mm-hmm. I think I, I thought they did a very good job of of dealing with that. And from things I've read, I, I know a lot of people whose lives it you know relates more directly to felt the same way. It might not resonate for everybody, um, but one thing I think they did to try and make a broader resonance is not just have this one Asian American character who has this one experience, right? Right. We have him as the protagonist, as the central protagonist, but we also have um, uh, Katie, right? Who's, I mean, I believe is American-born Chinese, right? When when mm-hmm. Ronnie Chang says to her, "Oh, it's okay, I speak ABC," you know, um, I 
I think that's kind of a reference to how I know, you know, different people can have very different experiences based on, you know, first of all, like where they're born, also how right. old they are and what's going on, you know, in their life when, when they move to a new place. And I think the movie was very conscious in terms of kind of trying to have uh, representation for different Asian American experiences and not just just that of the, the protagonist and, and kind of contrast that between those two characters. And then also have some Chinese characters who are like mainland Chinese or, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, Macau is, is this, uh, it's, it's kind of like Hong Kong, right? It's, um, uh, I forget the exact term, but basically it's somewhat autonomous, but it's not autonomous. It's part of China, but I think it was, it was Portuguese, right? The way mm-hmm. Hong Kong yeah. was British and, uh, it is a big gambling mecca. I've, I've thought about moving there to play poker actually, and maybe someday I will if, uh, you know, if, if things ever get better. But, um, I, I did feel like the movie really did a great job of, presenting a variety of experiences um so it's not just like this is the asian experience or this is the asian american experience so that there are there are different experiences that people can relate to personally but also that people can kind of observe maybe people who haven't had those experiences and and give more thought to like how it it might be very different for different people um what Mm -hmm. you know what it means to be asian american or more specifically chinese american yeah, like I thought the way they handled um, <clears throat> when uh, when Wu, when Wu or Wing Wu, when Wu, um, when Wu. Yeah, if Thank this you. is in the thing, I, I would just like to say that I'm not an expert on on uh, okay. Chinese pronunciation. I have studied Mandarin, Cantonese, and Toisanese or Taishanese, if you want. Um, and I have a gist of it, but uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm taking you know, all this out. I'm good to know. What you are taking this all. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I wanted to actually say that on the air, but Oh, sure. Okay. Um, that's fine. But yeah, Wenwu. Okay. I really love the way they handled Katie's character's name. Uh you know, the, there's a scene with her at dinner with Wenwu and Shang-Ching and his sister, and you know, Wenwu asks her what her Chinese name is, and she does know it, and she looks almost kind of embarrassed as she says it. And I was a little bit bracing for him to kind of go into a rant about like how terrible she is because she doesn't know her, you know, true name or something like that. But he doesn't. And he's actually kind of very welcoming to her. And granted, we later know he's really trying to kind of convince them to all to do something. And then by the end of the movie, I didn't pay super attention to this, but I'm fairly certain the character is still Katie is still referring to herself as Katie. And, and to me, that was also kind of important of, you know, Shang-Chi, I think, has decided, okay, yeah, I was using Sean to kind of run away from that, and I want to claim that my name is Shang-Chi. And Katie was like, yeah, I have a Chinese name, but my name is Katie. Yeah. And and to me, that was just such a beautiful way of showing, like, yeah, w- the movie isn't saying, like, this is what this experience should be. It's saying all these different characters have all sorts of different experiences, and that's great. Yeah, exactly. Like, you get to choose what aspects of various aspects of your life have what meanings to you right and mm-hmm. um and the fact that different c- characters make different choices and it's clearly okay i think is is great and you know affirming to whatever choices people make in terms of whether they want to 
you know, change their name or not, or if they have multiple names, which name they'd rather go by. Right. There's so much else in this movie I want to get to. And as I said, a lot of other people have been saying quite a lot about representation. But Paul, I know, given how important this has been for you in the, in the lead up to the movie, is there any kind of last points you want to make about that? Um, yeah. <laughs> On the subject of representation, there are two things that, that don't have to do with being um, Asian or Asian American representation, but like, I got totally faux rolled on the vegetarian representation on the plane scene, um, <laughs> which, I, <laughs> which I found annoying, but like, whatever, I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like animal character representation, I just always appreciate it, you know, yeah. whenever we can have an animal character who's like a person, you know, um, and bonus points if they're voiced by um, D. Bradley Baker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. I love that, like, with the exception of the sort of primary, you know, villain who is a demon with a sort of animal shape. So I'm not quite sure counts. Uh, no, an- like animals are in battle, but we don't have like animals being tortured or animals being killed or things that I know have often bothered you. And and, and I haven't been great about either. So uh, I, I have not loved either. So I, I did really love that part as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, and actually, in terms of like the representation, in terms of like Chinese mythology, those are, uh, from what I've seen, like portrayals of actual you know chinese mythological creatures and mm-hmm. um and the the vegetarian thing is maybe sort of a counter stereotyping thing also which that's yeah. fine you know in, in many ways i feel like that scene was more just about making fun of airplanes which uh, i yeah. wanted yeah, to yeah, hear yeah. for but yeah it, it, i mean it was kind of just for aquafina to riff right and yeah <laughs> which, which i i loved having just watched um raya and the last dragon having aquafina play uh, play having aquafina act against a dragon instead of being a dragon it was kind of a nice change but you know still <laughs> in the same same uh, also actually one other kind of thing both on the, getting shot by an arrow oh spoilers yeah <laughs> one of the things just on terms of this whole idea of representation i think one of the things that that we've talked about and a lot of other people have talked about is that often with a lot of these comic book characters black panther shang chi um wonder woman you know people like that you sometimes have characters who are representation of groups that don't get represented enough, but for a while we're being drawn by white men and, and written by white men mm. with some of the problems of that. And that this, like, you know, Luke Cage makes fun of the very kind of like black exploitation outfit that his character originally wore right. in his show. And one thing that I've heard a lot of people comment on really uh, that I really love is that in the comics, Shang-Chi is the, the son of Fu, Man, uh, Fu Manchu, right. which is a very racist—I think it was a character that started outside of Marvel in, like, newspaper comics. May mm-hmm. have started with Marvel, I'm not sure. But it's a very racist caricature of sort of the Asian wise man, you know, kind of idea. And so the fact that they changed his father to be uh, Wen Wu— so you keep helping me, and I appreciate that. Wen, Wen Wu— yeah. Uh, but the fact that they changed his father away from thing, uh, Fu Manchu, I thought was a really good thing. And just, just one more of those awareness of like, yeah, we're taking the story that has a lot of power for our culture written by people outside that culture. And so we're going to make some changes and that's OK. Yeah. And I mean, Fu Manchu, I think, predates Marvel, I think, like from the 30s or, or something. Yeah, I think it was like a newspaper karmic, you know, kind of like um, a thing like that. Yeah. And then there's a the whole rights thing that I'm sure... Um, Will would be able to illuminate us on, but, uh, but yeah, like super racist stereotype. And then the Mandarin, I think also still problematic, like they were trying to go away from it, but maybe they didn't go that far away from it. 
And I've, I've seen a lot of people say that they were very hesitant about, you know, Shang-Chi and like where it was maybe going to go and how they're going to deal with that. And that mm-hmm. they were kind of um, put at ease to some extent, at least when, when they, um, when they um, heard that uh, Tony Leung was going to be playing Shang-Chi's father and right. they were like, oh, well, he wouldn't play a character like that, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and Very much they're so. like, if he plays a character, <laughs> that character's going to have depth and be like human, you know. And um, I, I'm trying to find which article it was, but uh, maybe maybe we'll have it in the in the show notes. There was there was a good one in, in Time that um, that kind of dealt with some of that. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, having problematic source material is it's a hard place to start right yeah and i i felt like they did a phenomenal job of um sort of taking a character who existed in the in the comics and then make it basically you know what i i haven't read the comics so i'm not going to comment on the comics i feel like they did a phenomenal job of making a movie that had a lot of interesting characters that felt like real people and one of them was an Asian American superhero protagonist, and that's something right. we haven't had before. And yeah. um, personal, it, it's funny because like I was originally like, oh, you know, it's kind of like the fact that they're like you know the master of kung fu is going to be like the first you know Asian lead in a in a mm-hmm. Marvel movie. <clears throat> I was kind of like, mm, like I'm glad they're making it, but like. I don't know, maybe make a Jimmy Woo movie. But like Jimmy Woo's yeah. not a superhero. And the thing yeah. the thing in this movie was like it's he's not just the master of kung fu. He gets the ring. Oh, spoilers. He gets the rings. I know we we're yeah. going full spoilers. But like he becomes a like a full-on superhero by the end. And um some of my like preferences it, it's fun. at the end I was like, oh, I probably would have rather in, like enjoyed it more if it was more just like hand-to-hand combat. But, like, the hand-to-hand combat was phenomenal. But then they elevated him to the level of, like, a superhero. And I think right. that was really important to do that, to go that step beyond, to to have a sort of, like, world-saving stakes, you know, which, mm-hmm. personally, I'm a little tired of world-saving stakes and CGI battles. But, like, yeah, do it for do it for this one, you know? You don't have to yeah. do it for Ant-Man. Like, that's fine. Yeah. You know? Do, but do it here. I think that's very true. I think one thing that also makes it even better, and uh, apologies, this is going to be a very broad spoiler for the movie Upcoming Eternals, so skip forward 30 seconds if you want to know nothing about it. But in the Eternals, there are going to be two... It's a team-up movie. It's not any one particular person, so it's not a a headliner, but two of the members of that team who have been heavily featured in the ads and the trailers are one is South Asian, the other is East Asian, Mm -hmm. and neither one of them is... uh, Like, their powers are coming out of the cultures that they're, they're coming from, as far as I understand. So we will at least be getting some more of that that I think would be... It would make sort of, you know, our only Asian superhero being a martial artist feel a little worse if, like, we weren't getting more of those characters pretty soon. Yeah, and, so, and Kamala Khan, right? Yes, yes, Speaking definitely. Of, like, Kamala Khan, Ms. Marvel. Yeah. So that, I mean, yeah, her, her power, superpowers have nothing to do with her South Asian Right, she's, heritage. like, stretchy. Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, so we talked a lot about uh, Tony Young and, and his character, Wen Wu, and, and let's kind of dive into him because I feel like he is, 
to me, in many ways, the heart and soul of the movie from an ethical perspective. I mean, like, I love Simu Liu. I think he's a fantastic actor in Kim's Convenience. I think he looks great with his shirt off from a pure thirst. Like, and we, th this is more on the thirst side of it, but like the thirst cast folks on the uh, Straight Up Panda Network have been going crazy over him, which I think is another good thing because there's a lot of conversation about like, will Asian men be, you know, attractive to right. European women or white women and stuff. And so we're blowing that out of the water. But I also got to say, like, there's some memes out there you've seen for a while of like, well, you're cute, but your daddy's hotter. <laughs> and to me, that, that very much applies to this movie because like he looked great, but like. Tony, just every time he was on screen, like there was nowhere else to look, I thought. And yeah. just, I think you and I talked about one of the best acting performances in the MCU, but his character to me is so ethically rich and interesting as a villain slash antagonist. Yeah. Uh, I mean, where to begin? Um, right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I might've had a, a different reaction in terms of what my emotional reaction was, but mm -hmm. like. Honestly, I just feel emotional seeing him on screen. Like, yeah. I, I like I kind of almost get choked up. Like he's he's his presence is just so expressive, mm -hmm. um, and the the character I found very interesting. Um, I for for those who don't know, he's you know a, a Hong Kong cinema legend who yeah. to Western audiences, I guess the the thing that would be the sort of most accessible entry point was he was in. A movie called Infernal Desi um, Infernal Affairs. Sorry, um, mm -hmm. that's the that's the English sort of translation, although it's not a literal translation. Um, which is the movie that The Departed was based on, um, yeah. and sometimes shot, almost shot for a lot shot. He plays the Leonardo DiCaprio character and is amazing in it. Um, and I, I I think the you know that original is is better than The Departed, which I thought was a very good movie. But um, he he just I don't know, like he just has presence and like depth yeah. and every time he says something i just like what else are you gonna do but but listen to him and i i, I mean i i read seemingly talking about like you know he was like oh, i was excited to be uh you know the first um you know asian superhero lead but like i didn't have any idea that i would it would be my job to like stare into tony leung's eyes for like hours <laughs> which is great because like Simu had like pushed for this movie to be made yeah. for such a long time. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, well now you got to act against this utter legend. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and to me, his character just and part of this is the acting, but also it's the writing and the direction and just the uh, the thing of the movie. Like he is the antagonist for yeah. most of the movie, but he's so sympathetic. Mm -hmm. You know, I and I found and we'll talk about this in, in a minute. Like the the journey he goes on of being this person yes who is kind of reprehensible he is a conqueror he is you know just out for slaughter and and then clearly like he put that aside you know he he and i think i think the way the movie does this is brilliant because at first i i didn't realize that he had stopped being this conqueror you know oh, super assassin yeah. kind of person right. and so when the mother was selling like yeah, here's all these things your father has done. Isn't he a good man? I was kind of like, what, 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 how do you reconcile this? Yeah. But when it became clear that he had actually stopped all that, he had taken off the rings, he'd gone back to kind of trying to live a normal life with... Um, uh, Ying Li. What is it? I, say again? Ying Li. Ying Li, thank you. With Ying Li and his children, 
And that it was only his grief at her death, as well as the fact of kind of thinking like she died because I put down the mm, power yeah. that he decided to take it back, you know? And I, you know, I, I kind of joked with you, like to me, this is the best betrayal of Anakin Skywalker I've ever seen right. um, in terms of that, like, you know, going to the dark side to protect his wife and also getting the like at the very end of the movie. I'm going to protect my son and have a moment of goodness, you know, right before I die. Right. <laughs> so the Darth Vader vibes were very strong there. They were. But I, I just, to, because they, they never should have made him like pure evil or did a like, oh no, actually everything he's done is pure good, you know? Which in that dinner scene when he was talking about rescuing his mother, I was a little worried that it would be, okay, everyone's now on his side and the whole happy family is going to go off and do happy family things. And not forget about all the people on that bus who got killed because of the things that Wen Wu was doing to try and get his son's pendant and stuff like that. You know, and I I really liked that they didn't turn him into a mustache twirler or into like, no, actually, he's a misunderstood hero. He was just a person who had this incredible power and the power led him to do a lot of awful things and then gave up the power and then only took up the power and wanted to use it for very understandable reasons, even if he was very clearly being manipulated. Yeah, I think it's an interesting spin on the sort of... I mean, it's like the Vader story, except if Anakin, for a thousand years before he became good, was like the Emperor. Right, yeah. (laughs) Like, if he was a Sith to begin with, you know? Because, I mean... It seems like he was, you know, he was a conqueror. Like, that's, I don't think that's a great thing to be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so for for a thousand years, he was, like, going around doing bad stuff. And then he met someone, fell in love, and, and it changed his life. You know, she, I mean, we could talk about that, that fight scene in the beginning. Um, and how it, like, it, to me, it was like she was, like, showing him another way kind of mm-hmm. almost like another way to use violence but that oh, like yeah. i don't know there's 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 so much there but that he you know he changed fundamentally he he gave up eternal life right like the rings yeah. were giving him you know it's like it's like the one ring um they they were they're giving him unnaturally long life and he was like i think he said i finally found something worth or someone worth growing old for or some a reason you know something yeah. worth growing old for um and the you know the, then her dying and him feeling like it was his fault like sends him back deeper <clears throat> into the you know the pit of like wherever he was before he met her um and now he's got these kids and he's like I'm going to make you know I'm I'm going to turn um you know our son into like an adventure, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it, and then at the end for, it, it was just so clear that he was, he wasn't like seeking some additional power or whatever, that he had this very pure intention, but that it was from, you know, a, yeah. a corrupting <clears throat> delusion induced by this like evil creature being, you know, like you said, there's so much to get into here. I wanted to start, though, with a fight scene you brought up because I, I want to hear you talk about it more because I'm, I'm not a martial artist. I know very little about it. And I'm on record as saying that I don't really love the whole we're going to beat each other up until we kiss kind of like flirt, you know, fighting meet cute thing that happens a lot. Right. Th- that fight scene 
uh, that become the, the fight that becomes a dance between the two of them, mm-hmm. I think was my favorite scene in the movie mm. because <clears throat> I felt that in without saying a word, it's so perfectly captured. Excuse <clears throat> me. You know, he was aggressive. He was being aggressive. She was defending, and but it, she basically like slowly, gradually turns it from a fight into a dance, and so much of it's about like redirecting his attacks and kind of redirecting his energy. And I, I, you, you were trying to tell me about it some in martial arts terms that I hope you'll repeat, but it just was such a beautiful expression of the role she has in his life, you know, in that she's his equal, first of all, which is something he's never really found before, but also she's able to kind of like, to me, it was such a perfect microcosm of that whole relationship you were just talking about, you know, that she was able to kind of see all of that, like anger and aggression and redirect it and turn it in new ways, um, as well as kind of like call him out a bit, you know, and like dunking him in the water, literally. And like the little smile smirk he has at the end of that was just so perfect where he's like, oh, yeah, OK, this is this is someone who can challenge me and make me think in new ways. And mm-hmm. I just I just loved everything about that fight scene. And that's kind of paralleled when when Wu sends Shang-Chi into the the water and and he, right. he um, kind of comes out sort of made anew in some ways um i'm actually i i could respond to that directly but i see will sent us some some text which the beginning of it relates directly to this so i'm going yeah to just sure i was going to quote to... it but go oh. ahead um anyway will says uh martial arts uh when Wu's fighting style as influenced by the power of the rings is close-fisted it's about putting as much power behind your attacks as possible as opposed to ying's tribe style um which is open-handed and follows a flow in terms of like avatar fire and earth bending is more forceful um, and impactful while air and water can change the flow of a battle uh, using your opponent's inertia and guiding it around your body is how Wen Wu couldn't beat um, Ying Li. Um, so, so then having Shang Yi be the yin and yang of both those styles and blending them together was awesome to watch. I loved that. Um, totally. Uh, yeah, I think that's such a good way to put it. Um, one thing I did notice is that in the fight scene on the bus, uh, Shang-Chi's fists are closed. Yes. And then they're open in those last fight scenes. And I didn't really understand the significance until I read this comment mm. by Will. So yeah. thank you so much. And Mich- there's a scene where uh, Michelle Yeoh, another absolute legend, <laughs> by the way, um, like basically is like, like physically opens his fists. Right. 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 She, she plays his aunt who kind of helps train him Correct. when he goes to the village. Yeah. Um, so so she basically teaches him like their style. Right. Yeah. And but the you know, the point is, is like now he has both. He's he's both mm. those things. He's he's not just one. And he gets to choose kind of what he wants to use and take from from each of them. Um, and I mean, there's a moment when she's like airbending, it seems right. Like literally mm-hmm. the air is moving ar- around her. Um but the, I believe she's using um, kind of like Tai Chi movements, mm-hmm. which is actually what they used for water bending in uh, Avatar. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, yeah, I mean the the kind of parallel, uh, and those those four elements aren't like the four the. I mean, there's like five Chinese elements, but um, Avatar. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I I, I, I love that fight scene. Um, as someone who like. I respect your dislike of that trope 
And I, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of bad examples of it. I remember saying, like, it doesn't bother me so much. Perhaps because, like, my wife and I fought before we dated, you know? <laughs> yes. Like, literally, physically, we punched and kicked each other because we met at Taekwondo. And Thank you for adding that clarification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very important detail there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, just as a martial artist, um, I, I felt like that fight sort of showed, you know, the the beauty of martial arts, which some some of the other scenes showed, um, you know, the kind of more kinetic, violent aspects of it. But there's, you know, it's it's movement, right? Mm-hmm. And any movement, I mean, any movement that generates power could be used for a variety of things. It, it, it can be used to cause damage, but you can also, there are also techniques you can use that are, are meant to disarm or disable or when um like when when he's fighting his sister right there mm-hmm. um I, I i think that's when it was he's like basically trying to kind of like restrain her it doesn't go so well for him but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's that's a different like and, and it's my theory that like those are probably the martial arts that should be taught to if you're going to have people going around enforcing laws or whatever like they should learn the soft open-handed martial arts but don't have to go too far down that one Um, that makes sense like uh the tai chi kid i think would make a better tv series in some ways than the karate kid right now um yeah yeah. so i can understand (laughs) where you're coming from although that's i'm crossing from a japanese martial art to a chinese martial art want to be very clear about that yeah Um, Uh, it could be the aikido kid then Um, there you go there you go um but yeah I, i so and what do you think about kind of the way his journey played out at the very end? I mean, we made the Darth Vader joke, and I think that's kind of relevant. But I, I feel like it was, for me, I felt like it was the, like, I don't often like the, like, I do one good thing and then I die and so everything is forgiven. Mm-hmm. But it felt in this case very appropriate, you know, of he's not, like, making this big statement of everything he did was wrong. In some ways, it's it's the same motivation. It's that he loves and wants to help protect his family. And you know, he has this great power and he's willing to use that great power to do anything he ha- can to get his wife back. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a very classic story about power corrupting. I mean, that's exactly the, the Anakin Skywalker story, just told much better. Um, <laughs> but but at the end, I like that it's that he's, you know, he still wants to give the power to someone in his family. Yeah. And so he gives the, the rings to Shang-Chi and, and, you know, clearly helps Shang-Chi in his kind of final actions, which I just thought was a really beautiful way of, you know, ending his story as it, it doesn't make him a hero all of a sudden, but it's a very fitting end. Yeah, I, I, um, I was kind of like, of course, they're going to kill the antagonist because Marvel always kills the antagonists. And mm-hmm. like... I would like to see more of his story. Um, I'm a little bit optimistic after the mid credit scene that maybe he'll be in some backstory about how he found the rings and stuff. That would be really good. You know, like, I would watch that. Because um, just, like, I don't know. Like, you give that good a performance, like, now we don't get that character anymore. <laughs> um, well, especially because I kind of felt the movie had the wrong name. Right. It really should be Shang-Chi and the Legend of Talo. Uh, uh, Tola. No, Talo. I'm sorry. I'm so bad. This is not about pronunciation. This is about... This I'm is the about person memory. talking about Stan Sebastian. That, and names. What, what, was, what was the name of the village? I think it was Talo. 
on the, on the Talo, yeah. yeah Talo. In some ways, I kind of because like at the end, I don't actually know anything about the origins of the rings. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we didn't really get the legends of them. Um. But still, yeah. So I think that would be another because Tony Long is such a great actor. Don't let go of him. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But like to your point, um, it did feel, it felt like it felt earned, and mm-hmm. it felt right, and it, it felt like. He saw that he was wrong, in ter- just literally wrong. Like, he right. thought he was going to save his wife, and he wasn't. And he was wrong. And then he's like, what do I do from here? Well, I'm pretty much hosed. But, like, I see that a lot of what I loved in in Ying Li is, you know, in, in our son. And so mm-hmm. I want him to have the rings. Like, he had trained him from the time he was seven until he was 14 to take the rings. Right. Yeah. And this is sort of him both kind of like, I don't know, repenting or whatever, or like giving up his mistaken um, quest for saving his wife. And also the completion of the thing he did while he was being like super bad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like the the thing he wanted to do while being like, this is not parent of the year material by any means, you know? Yeah. Um. And one thing I thought that made that transition so beautiful, and this gets more into Shang-Chi's story, which we can talk about the ethical questions of, but I think it was so significant. During his during his fight with his father, you know, he takes five of the rings from his father, but he never puts them on. Like, he's kind of, they're rotating around him and circling mm, around him, yeah. and he kind of claims them, and they change color, which we talked about the significance of that. But he, and he uses them to defeat his father, and eventually kind of takes all 10, but then he just kind of throws them all on the ground, you know? And it's not till his father gives them to him in that, la- you know, that he mm-hmm. kind of really puts them on, which I thought was just such another, like, beautiful little twist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, I don't, I don't want to go too hard to, like, compare this to, to Black Widow, but mm-hmm. um, just in specifically sort of the, the parents and the journey particularly like of the father, like contrasting mm-hmm. um, this. Like, that with Red Guardian? Yeah. Uh, it, it felt like there, but for both parents really in, in that, um, like there was this kind of like perfunctory redemption. redemption mm-hmm. You know, where it's like some people are like, oh, what I didn't like about it was that they weren't redeemed. And some people are like, well, what I didn't like about it was that they were redeemed. And like, I think we were kind of both on the same page of like, it felt like they were, it's sort of like they said they were redeemed, but they weren't really. Right. You know, and here it felt like, like, I guess the question's open because like, and it's kind of irrelevant because like he's dead, but it felt like both, but in a, in a way that felt right, you know? Yeah. I mean, if it did. I think especially that last scene of the lighting the lamps and um, uh, the pa- the paper lanterns and sending them out into the water, yeah. and the fact that they specifically light one for their mother, him and his sister, for their mother and their father, I thought was a nice way of kind of acknowledging that. Yeah, yeah, the... I agree, I agree. Yeah. So let's talk about some about Shang-Chi's journey. Um, first, this isn't really an ethical thing, but just something I kind of want to uh, lampshade. I-, I wonder if you felt the same way. Going into this, I had a lot of feeling of like, I love the character of Young so much from Kim's Convenience. And that's not a martial arts superhero. It's going to be so hard for me to see him as something different. 
And I kind of felt like the first 10 minutes of the movie in which he's this kind of like doofus of a parking attendant who's just kind of going through life was kind of him being the Kim convenience character. And then, uh, although that character is a lot more confident and then the movie kind of being like, okay, so let's transition what you know of this actor into this, into this character. Yeah. Uh, And I just, I just thought that was such a nice way of like recognizing the character's popularity in a very different genre. Mm, Yeah. 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 I mean, the fact that it's both like car things, right. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, so, so my, my sort of journey of, of Shang-Chi just like as an idea was like, Oh great. They're going to make an Asian led film finally. Right. Yeah. To then like, "Mm, I'm not crazy that it's like the master of Kung Fu. I'm still, it's, it's one of those, like, I'm happy that it's being made instead of not being made. But like, what if you made a character that had some other power that like was not, you know, directly connected to, to their heritage or whatever. Um, to then like watching Kim's convenience and then like reading that, like Simu Liu was going to be Shang-Chi. I was like, what? (laughs) And I was like super (laughs) excited. And then I was like, wait, am I just going to see Jung the whole time? <laughs> like, <laughs> am I just, am I going to be able to not see him as Jung Kim? Like, yeah. and it was a real concern. And um, it's like, it's easier for like um, Paul Sung Hyung Lee where, you know, you see him as Appa um, or I think Sung Yul Kim in uh, Mr. Kim in Kim's Convenience. And then you see him as Carson Teva and you're like, well, he sounds totally different, you know? Right. Like he's he's doing a, a Korean accent in in the one and in the other, you know, he's got his natural Canadian accent. Here you don't have that, right? I mean, he kind of sounds the same. Um, I, I I saw someone in one in the thirst one of the thirst posts comment on on uh, Simu's voice, which like I find just very like calming. Like yeah, I don't know. He's he's got a great voice and um but it it feels very distinct right so i i was a little concerned that like maybe i'm not going to um be able to see him as not that like i don't buy it cuz i was like well i know he can do stunts you know i yeah. know he can do comedy i know he can do drama and like i know he likes taking instagram pics with his shirt off and <laughs> and, and people love it so like sounds perfect for a marvel hero right um and and then when I found out all the rest of the cast, I was like, oh my goodness! And and like the cinematographer and the stunt coordinator and listened to the you know the the director and the writer and and I got like really hyped for the movie, which like isn't a thing that happens much anymore. Um, and yeah, in the beginning, I really do think they played into that of like mm-hmm. you know like yeah, this is this is his cover, right? So then everything that you think about your kind of preconceptions it's like now boom we're gonna bust the cover and this is also who this guy is you know he's not not the cover like the cover isn't really fake right i mean it's yeah it is who he is but it's not all of who he is yeah well i think that kind of gets us into some of the ethical questions to talk about with this character because i think you know he's really a character who's trying to find himself in part because you're right in some ways I think Sean isn't a, f- a cover. It's him trying to find a new version of self because the version of himself was pretty awful. And in some ways, I really like that he at first lies to Katie, but then does admit that he did commit, you know, he yeah. did do the assassination. And like, yeah, you because know, it's done in a way of like, I'm not going to judge a 14 year old who's been 
brainwashed and abused by their father right. to be a little kill. You know, like child soldiers are not ethically responsible for the things they do in the same way a lot of other people would be. You know, I mean, it's not it's a very gray moral area, but I think like we should have a lot of forgiveness there. And he's absolutely a child soldier in that right. regard. But it does still make him like, you know, for him at 14 to go through all of that and know that his father's command was wrong and decide not to do it would feel a little too like, look how good and perfect he is. And so I love that. Yeah, he did go through it. He did. And again, you know, he killed the person who helped kill his mother. So again, like lots of ways, this is a pretty justifiable action. But but you also understand how horrified he was from that and that, you know, his whole decision to become Sean is not a, a response to running away from that and that it's through his mother and through his aunt that he gets to kind of like reconcile all these parts of his identity and not that like this is a fake and this is real but just I, I can integrate all of these into my like holistic idea of myself yeah yeah I, I don't have that much to add to that that's that's yeah. pretty much how, how I feel you know um, I, I, I do think like you know by the time you're 14 like you have um, a, I think you have a larger level of agency than most people ascribe to 14 year olds. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at the same time, when you're raised in a compound by a warlord assassin who, I mean, who teaches you to be a, an assassin, like I, I have a lot of, you know, sympathy, yeah. empathy for like where a person might be coming from, you know, and you know, I, and you know, I also believe in, in redemption and forgiveness and, you know, the yeah. idea or I don't know. I don't know if that's the way I most want to put it, but like I believe in the idea that a people that people can do good things and those same people can do bad things, and you know just because you've done whatever bad things doesn't mean you can't be like you know what going <clears throat> forward, I, I want to mm -hmm. do things that I don't know help people or just like don't kill people. Like I just want to stop yeah. killing people. Although he does kill like a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> like and and um, what to me one thing it really reminds me of and um, so. Paul and I have also talked about uh, The Wire is one of our absolute favorite TV mm. shows. And uh, just very recently before we recorded this, uh, Michael K. Williams, who plays Omar, who you want to talk about representation, was for a yeah. lot of people, especially a lot of uh, you know straight men, their first real coming to terms with a, a gay character. Uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal performance because he's very much breaking the gay stereotype, uh, which gay stereotype is because he's very much, because he's very much breaking that stereotype. But, to me, and so I'm thinking about The Wire a lot, and because uh, to, to me, that's a lot of what, what The Wire is about, is a number of the uh, major characters in The Wire are these little kids who've grown up kind of in a compound, you know, where everyone around them is involved in the game of, of drug selling and the violence that goes along with it. And so you have these, like, 13, 14, 15-year-olds who are committing these horrible acts of violence, and some get redemption stories and some don't. And... It, it's to me a very, you know, I kind of want to plug that show in general in kind of honor of Michael Williams, who's just, again, such a loss. So sad about that. Uh, and we may well do an episode about that. But with moving, it's probably going to be delayed a couple weeks. But like to me, that that show, it, it, it really reminds Shang Li's journey really reminds me of those kids, you know, in terms of that. Like, yeah, it's not that at 14 or 15, anybody is ethically off the hook. But that, like, where you're raised is going to have a huge influence on what you think of as right or wrong. And that we need to kind of take that into account when judging the actions of someone at that age, of any age, but especially at that age. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, yeah, I, I just want to um, double up on the – I mean, The, the Wire is an amazing show. I would love to be part of the podcast, but I don't think it's going to work out because life – 
But uh, right. I look forward to listening to it. Um, Michael Kenneth Williams is an amazing actor. Um, not not just like uh, the portrayal of Omar. I think not not just being like a gay character, but like a black gay character. I think is even yes. more right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, particularly unusual at, at that time, you know, groundbreaking. And um, I did I did have the uh, pleasure of playing poker with with Michael Kenneth Williams yeah. actually, and and. Um, he was shooting an episode for Vice in the Underground Poker Club, and he, <laughs> like you know, I met him the one time, but like he right. was just super nice and chill, and just seemed like a great dude. And um, yeah, it's a, another tragedy. Yeah, so ra- raise a glass for that man. Definitely check out The Wire, but but you also the, in terms of that connection with the kids. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, season four of The Wire, I think, is the one where they start like focusing on schools and just mm-hmm. seeing the you know the trajectories of the different kids and. How they, you know, maybe don't know. You think, oh, this kid's going to go this way. This kid's going to go this way. and But you just see the circumstances of, of life and um, how things can really pull people in directions. And that, I don't know, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can do harm, right? Yeah. But at the same time, to what extent should you be culpable slash you know, where, where do we go from there? I don't know. It's a, it's a really hard question. And um, yeah, the, I can definitely see the wire connection though, for sure. Yeah. One other quick plug for the wire. It also stars as, as one of the younger kids who is like caught up in this life. Uh, Michael, uh, Michael B. Jordan, yeah. who later plays Killmonger among other great characters in his acting career. But that's one of his first kind of breakout roles. But so, so back to the Shang-Chi, especially. Um, and so turning back to Shang-Chi and his journey, it's funny, while I was watching the movie, a part of me really liked the idea, like when he's using the rings but not putting them on, yeah. I kind of felt like there was this idea of the rings are corrupting and so he wouldn't put them on. And I kind of didn't like that he put them on mm. until I think actually some of the comments you've made today have helped really kind of turn my opinion around on it and some of the comments you and I were having beforehand because I feel like it's this idea of like the rings themselves aren't good or bad. It's that... In some ways, Shang-Chi is stronger than his father. Right. He's able to use them and not... And granted, like, he's now had them for, like, you know, six hours. Right, right, right. Who knows where he's going to go in five years with them or whatever. But, um, you know, and again, that's... Oh, now I really want to get the movie that is entirely set in the past uh, and should be 100% in Mandarin or, yeah. or a version of the language that had been spoken at that point. Right. But just, like, a great, like, you know, 13th century China epic of him get because what if like the father actually wanted to be a do-gooder for 30 or 40 years Mm -hmm. and just everything he did failed and he was like screw this i'm just gonna take over um but anyway that's a whole other story but yeah to me like him taking the rings and being able to use them for good i just thought was such a wonderful just especially because he'd already kind of like he started using the the magic martial arts of his mother like that beautiful um the kind of tracing a half circle in the ground with your back foot yeah. uh, as kind of like the, as the symbology of the, the Tai Chi magic part of the martial arts, having him do that actually makes real sense that he also uses the magic of his father and then becomes kind of the, the embodiment of the, of the two of them together. Um, I, I mean, I, I want to see that movie and yeah. <laughs> it, one, one thing that might give, uh, give someone hope would be that um, the, the departed uh, spoilers for mm-hmm. the departed i guess skip ahead two minutes if you've never seen it if you want but um you know the leonardo dicaprio um uh tony leon character gets killed at the end 
but he was such a good character. The the Hong Kong original they they did in Infernal Affairs two, which was a prequel, so they could have Tony nice. Leung in it. <laughs> so I like that. So maybe like that. maybe this character who was amazing and got bumped off early will get a prequel, and I will mm-hmm. watch it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd be into that. I'd totally be into that. So I, I want to kind of use that discussion we just had about the rings and Shang-Chi as the embodiment of his parents to, to shift into our next topic. Was there anything specifically about kind of the, the ethical questions around Shang-Chi's character that you wanted to mention? Um, Not a lot. I mean, it's interesting that he had the, you know, he assassinated someone and then decided he didn't want to be an assassin. Um, you know, this kind of references a conversation we've had before, but, you know, some people are trying to kill him on the bus and... He tosses them out the bus and they probably died. And then some people are trying mm-hmm. to kill him on the scaffolding and he tosses them off the scaffolding and they probably died. And like, I, you know, I love Batman. I love characters mm-hmm. who find ways to not kill people who are trying to kill them. But I also think if someone's trying to kill you and you think the only way you can defend yourself is to respond with lethal violence, I think, you know, as long as you're rational and that's a real threat, like, I... You know, I think that's a thing. And, um, you know, so, so wait. I love the Batman reference you have there, because to me, there are two very different things that I I think the debates about Batman always conflate and drive me crazy, Mm, which is I will not kill someone versus I will not murder someone. Because to me, murder is like killing in when it's not in self-defense, when it's not as part of a fight. It's just like. I am going to kill this person because I want them to be dead. Who's not in any way a threat to me right mm-hmm. now. And like, to me, I, I, I see like, like a really understandable moral stance as a character who says like, I will not murder. Like you could say like what Thor does to Thanos would cross that line. Yeah. Absolutely. But I won't, but I, I'll kill if I have to kill in battle. And I think with Shang-Chi, it's such a great thing because, yeah, he does commit one murder in his life. Right. The the killing of the, the person who killed his mother when he's 14. And clearly that really, you know, wrecks him. And he has a chance to kill his father when he's first defeated his father. And he just kind of throws the rings off, mm-hmm. which that was another kind of very symbolic. Like, I won't go that far yeah. the way my father might have. Right. And like he um, might have killed them if they were currently involved in the struggle still. Right. Yeah. But he was drawing that line of like... I'm I'm not going to kill someone who is defenseless, basically. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, when you're fighting with lethal weapons, the fact that, like, the other person blocks all of your attacks, like, you were... If, you, if that attack hit, you were probably going to kill them. Right, you right, know? exactly. Um, that's something that movies often don't kind of go into. Yeah. I'm really glad we're having this conversation about the rings because it's also a good transition into the next topic I want to get to, which is um, his sister, Shang-Chi's sister, and then also uh, Katie, Aquafina's character. But first with the sister, because the transition for me is like, I did have a moment of thinking like, why does he get all 10 rings? Mm, You know, like she has also become this great martial artist. In in her case, it was like her father didn't train her. She had to learn it all on her own, which I thought was such a great story. And like, I mean, you know, we've made this joke, like if you haven't seen the TV show, The Warrior, you've kind of seen a lot of it in the first half hour of this this movie, but definitely check out that show. But it's a very similar, like brother, sister, brother, leave sister behind kind of story. Um, But I I did kind of have a moment of like wishing that she was getting some of the rings. And I know that he is the hero and he's the title character, but they did so much with her. And I really loved that at the end, like he gets the power, he gets the rings, but she gets the 10 rings organization, you know, which I did think was a really nice, like, Oh, okay. Now I see what you're doing. Yeah, they both got ten rings. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I honestly, I was thinking the same thing too. I was like, you know, like, should they split them? Like, mm-hmm. you know, why, why does, why does he get all the power? And it's like, well, cause his name's in the title, but like, yeah. you know, it, it is like, you know, the, it is like, why, why is it his story and not her story? You could have told her story instead, you know, yeah. and they decide to tell his story. And I think that's fine, you know. Um, and, and certainly I feel like, I mean, she is not dead at the end of this. I think she's very clearly going to be a major part of the MCU going forward. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she 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 runs the Ten Rings now, right? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I think we'll see a lot more from uh, Jaling going forward. And one cool thing about that that was pointed out by some of the Strand of Panda chat, I certainly didn't notice it, but one of the women who's training uh, as part of the Ten Rings in that final scene uh, is was one of the widows who was freed at the end of Black Widow. So that's kind of another cool connection of like, you know, that that's where one of them went. For sure. Uh, which I really kind of love. And I, I think um, she actually showed up in the um, Fight Club. She was in one of the like little like oh, that's fish cool. tank uh, <laughs> Fighting things, yeah. fighting someone who looked like they had the extremist for- formula going through them. Yeah. So um, I love that whole scene. Yeah, it was so well done. Yeah, especially the little the little Wong and uh, Abomination kind of fixing their fights. Oh yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was great. Um, yeah, I'd like to see more from her. I, I thought the actress um, Menger Zhang did a great mm-hmm. job as well, and I think it's her first yeah. feature film. She was like a theater actor before. And, and I kind of bring her up in relation to Katie, not because like there's a number of very powerful women characters in this movie, but I felt like between the two of them, each one of them took parts of what is often kind of the trope of the romantic, uh, you know, the romantic character in the movie for like the male hero to win. Yeah. And, you know, because when the sit like we've talked joked before about like the fight that becomes a kiss, the enemies to lovers story is very much a part of it. And here they kind of did the enemies to something story, Allies. but with his sister. Yeah. And it's en- yeah, enemies to, like, siblings. And I just, I loved that twist on that story. Yeah, I mean, it, I, so I, I loved that. Um, I, I loved the, the whole Katie, Sean, and Shang-Chi dynamic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that they had a, a very real, honest-feeling friendship between a male and a female character that wasn't romantic or sexual. Mm-hmm. Like it's cool to have those that are as well, but like sometimes right. don't do that, you know, just because the two buddies in the film are of opposite gender doesn't mean like they have to get together. Right. right. I know at some point that was basically the rule of Hollywood storytelling, but yeah, you know, I had a little bit of a worry that when he went to the village, there'd be some like pretty maiden there who would fall for him. <laughs> and they just didn't do that. Which I really loved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could have had a four-hour movie, and I mean, I already feel like they could have expanded the movie to be a lot longer. Um, yeah, yeah. It, see, the the thing is, it's like this this movie actually had a more compelling love story than any MCU movie that comes to mind. Oh yeah, like that dance is the most romantic scene I've ever seen in an MCU movie, hands down. And yet, there wasn't a romance that felt shoehorned into the plot. And I I often feel like having a romance is like too much for the main character to do when -hmm. they're like trying to do the whole, the thing, right? Like the protagonist is the person who's supposed to do the thing. And if they also have to have this love story, then also that character often ends up feeling like an accessory. And, you know, the, the thing that I think they had to navigate 
also uh, that I imagine they put thought into is like they wanted to avoid the like desexualization of Asian men as well at the same yeah. time because that's totally a thing as well as the fetishization of, of Asian women. And mm-hmm. I feel like they did a good job of that by, you know, letting Simu Liu be like hot Right, and mm-hmm. be like, yeah, you, you know, we'll have the Marvel shirt off scene, like that. We yeah. like what, and then then Katie's like, what happened to your shirt? Like, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> such a good. Then line. you also have Tony Leung, you know. Um, yeah, it, and, and though I want to kind of offer a little bit of a different perspective sure. on the relationship between Shang Chi and Katie, and I might be completely projecting here, but I, I think this was a little bit the intent, and. Kind of as background, like one thing that I often hear a lot about, I, I spend a lot of time like in, in polyamorous communities, but often in communities that are like discussing, you know, queer communities or anything like that. They're discussing like, what does a relation, what does it mean to have a relationship with someone? Mm-hmm. And like, why do we tend to think that like there's romantic relationships and there's platonic relationships and there's like an iron line between the mm-hmm. two and you're either very solidly in one box or the other. And that one of the things that polyamory really opens up, but, but also even for monogamous people as well, is that there's a lot of relationships that fall somewhere in a gray area and maybe sexuality is a part of it. Maybe it's not. Maybe some degree of like romantic affections, a part of it. And maybe it's not. And it just is a gray area that doesn't have to be defined. And that's kind of how I saw their relationship because often when you, there have been a couple times where it's a man and a woman who are good friends, but they're clearly not dating and they very intentionally bookmark that, you know, and they have one of them have a partner that the other one is always teasing them about. Or they have people be like, oh, you two hang out a lot. You must be a couple. And they're like, no, 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 no. Of course not. Of course not. And they're never physically affectionate to each other. But in this one, like, I mean, there's that scene at the very end where, like, she's leaning against him in a way that, like, yeah, friends friends will do sometimes. But, like, often could be, like, that there is something there. And she certainly gave him a lot of looks that I think anyone who's attracted to masculine bodies was probably giving that actor the same looks. But like, you know, they kind of said like, yeah, she recognizes attractiveness. And there were just a number of things through the movie that made me feel like, you know, even like the fact that they go on like double dates basically with another couple, but they're never like, oh, are you guys a couple? Are you not? Uh, There may have been a joke about that, but I'm forgetting. Like when are you guys going to get married or something like that? Oh yeah. It was from the grandmother. I think. Yeah. But it, it wasn't from their, their peers. I think, um, Am I right about that, or am I forgetting? I'm not something? sure. I feel like they both might have said it, but maybe it wasn't. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. So I, to me, I feel like I don't think there's any reason to say, "Oh, there's definitely a romance there." There's going to be a romance, and it, it, it. I think them being friends is very important for all the reasons you're saying. But I also feel like this movie was doing something a little bit different, of like letting them kind of be in a gray area where romance or sexuality is possible, but isn't where they are, and also like. Kind of saying that, like, if they do kiss at some point later, that's not going to fundamentally change their relationship, you know, which I, I just I found that really refreshing to see that kind of like gray area ness. Yeah, I, I I can see that. I mean, I definitely I didn't feel like there was this um, clear distinction. It just that there definitely wasn't actively something. Yeah, right? but that, I think that's very true. But it yeah. did feel like there's, you know, there's a door open. Although I don't know, I, I, I kind of at the end when, when, um, Captain Marvel was like, "Get my number from uh, Bruce," you know, um, I was like, hmm. "Oh yeah." <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I did feel like it felt like they had a very special relationship, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. that at that time there wasn't, um. 
like a, a physical. Well, there there was like a physical intimacy, but not like a sexual intimacy. And yeah. I don't know. I kind of feel like if you can have that, then it seems less likely to um, that you're going to go in another direction later, mm-hmm. but not necessarily impossible. Um, yeah. I, I mean, and like they're they're people who are asexual or aromantic, yeah. and I don't think either one of those characters is necessarily. But I just like I think we're in the last ten or fifteen years, people really been understanding that the the world of ways that people can relate to each other are just not. It's a lot more complicated than the binary of just friends or dating. For sure. And I just think that that I thought this movie did a really good job exploring that. And I mean, I I don't know. I'll just float this. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if like Shang Chi was like the first like openly gay marvel superhero at some point you know like i don't i don't think his sexuality was addressed in any way right really in the movie you know and so like i mean he kind of had more important things going on he kind of did you know he kind of did you know because i mean i think that's one of the reasons why sometimes that shoehorned in plot often bothers me is it's like okay you've just found out all these things are happening but yeah, you got time to like process falling into bed with someone. Go ahead. Right. Um, or or even worse, the I'm so dedicated to avenging the death of my uh, wife, yeah. and I'm going to sleep with this this person as part of that. It's right, just like right, I, mean, right. I get that you can you can be in a place of like wanting to avenge someone, but still be interested in someone new. But like, let's not make that happen all the time. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I I just thought those two relationships were both such nice ways of, you know, you had a woman his age both of whom are very attractive in very different ways and and they both got to sort of like they kind of check checked some of the boxes of the love interest trope without either actually being that trope and both being not only non-romantic roles in his life but completely fully developed characters who i felt never did anything that wasn't like there was never a moment where i was like okay they're doing that so they can get this story with him they just I understood who those two characters were and they always did things that made sense for their characters. Yeah. And I mean, they both had motivations and growth, you know, and I, th- I yeah. think having, I feel like there's what, like maybe four main characters that, that have that. Right. I, mm-hmm. I didn't feel that so much from, um, from the auntie, but yeah. I, I like, like her character, I enjoyed her character and, and felt like real. But um, yeah. but it, there wasn't like a big arc there, right? Um, mm-hmm. From uh, Ying Nan, but but that you know you had four characters who who had arcs, and it's like getting four arcs into a movie isn't that easy. And I felt like they did it pretty yeah. well. Yeah, no, I was very impressed by that. Um, I think we can kind of start wrapping up because it's already gone yeah. uh, very long. But we knew that with it. That, <clears throat> I'm so sorry Will couldn't join us, but if he had been here, we would have gone to three hours easily. Uh, let me kind of read his last comment. Oh, yeah. and I want to make uh, – we can discuss it, and then we can also kind of make any last comments we have. This will probably be 20 more minutes, but hopefully we can keep it not quite that long. Um, so, Will, in terms of the – we've been talking entirely about the movie because both me and Paul are not really very familiar with the comic book character. Uh, but Will just made one other comment about the comics. Shang-Chi was introduced in the 70s as the secret son of Fu Manchu, a Chinese crime lord introduced in novels in the, introduced in novels in the early 1900s. So actually, I was wrong about the newspaper mm-hmm. thing. Uh, Marvel eventually didn't have rights to using Fu Manchu, so they kind of dropped that tidbit into a Secret Avengers run where they ended up explaining that Shang-Chi's father's real name is Zheng Zhu. I'm probably pronouncing his name yeah, probably uh, Zheng very Zhu. poorly. Zheng Zhu. Zheng Zhu, thank you. Um, and he discovered the gift of immortality. One of the names he's gone by is Fu Manchu, thus bringing in his original plot but not using the actual novel character. So, legal fun. 
Shang-Chi has been on the Avengers, Heroes for Hire, and the... Oh, I would love to... I want to see him interact with Iron Fist, yeah, which I yeah. have a whole bunch of thoughts on. That, that's going to be my last comment. For sure. Um, uh, he's used extraterrestrial energies, Pym particles, and weapons made by Iron Man. He's been a teacher to Spider-Man, Captain America, and Wolverine. His martial arts skills have gotten him recognized as a mortal that can compete with the gods, since he's fought Ares, Builders, and other comic godly beings. That said, he doesn't actually have any powers. He's an expert fighter and has control over his mind and spirit. That last part only became important when he had countless copies of himself and when he had to fight an infection that gave him spider powers. Guys, comic books are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> he's been in less than 200 issues of comics in the 50 years since he's been introduced. He's only been the title character once in the last 40 years, um, which kind of just a, a representation point. Like, Sima Liu was pushing for this character to be made into a movie for a long time. I think like he hasn't been a major character, but like talk about a great sign of how important, how hungry people are for representation and how they will find it wherever they can. That this character has been very much a minor character overall in event in Marvel was so important to that actor and, and the one he wanted to push for. So my exposure to Shang-Chi in the comics is pretty limited. He's been important in the sense that he's been a pivotal participant in some storylines, uh, but he usually isn't the focus of the comic. Um, yeah. And I think Agents of Atlas was was the one that uh, you got distracted by wanting to see him with um, with Iron Fist. But I, I yeah. also um, like I, I kind of want to see him in Agents of Atlas also with with Jimmy Woo. Like just because like any, yeah. whatever gets us a Jimmy Woo series. Like come on. Uh, to me, it was actually Heroes for Hire that distracted me. But yes, that would also be because uh, no, that's uh, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. I might have said it wrong. Oh, okay. I didn't realize they were the same thing. Oh got it. no, 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 no. What I was saying is Heroes for. Oh, um, <laughs> because Heroes for Hire made you want to see him with Iron Fist, right? right? Then I think Agents of Atlas got left out. Agents of Atlas is like Jimmy Woo's like Shield esque team, I think. But I don't know that. Oh, okay. Now, now, I'm, but, now like, it's all I together. want to. And Jimmy Woo supposedly has this really unproblematic history as a comic character, um, mm-hmm. which is like a miracle because, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> there's not a lot of that. So. Um, and also, he's from San Francisco. They're both in San Francisco. Right. Throwing some Ant-Man. Yeah. So, the one thing I want to say, and that leads well to, is there's obviously a lot of parallels in this movie with the Iron Fist story. You know, in that, like, they're going to China, and in sort of, like, the, the you know, there's a secret passage that you can find in that part of Asia that will get you to this, like, di- different dimension of, like, a martial arts-loving village. Right. Like... Uh, and then I, I had to Google because I wasn't sure, like, is uh, Tola, like, a different name for Kunlun? And it turns out it's not. And in the in the comics, at least, there's this idea of there's, like, 30 different sort of, like, pocket dimensions of other, other places that you can access through various parts of Asia, since Kunlun is accessed through Tibet, at least in some versions of the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, including that and doing it in especially this idea that he does go to that place to really improve his powers and to learn more about his powers and there's a dragon yeah. yeah and they're all using like dragon weapons like it felt to me like they were somewhat intentionally referencing iron fist and i don't want to like i think it would be problematic to be like oh all martial arts movies about martial arts from asia in marvel have to reference each other but i think given all of the kind of controversy around iron fist and you know danny rand being the like white guy who goes to asia etc which, which we've discussed before we don't need to get back into that but it did feel to me like they were trying to be like, you know, 
we tried to do the story with Danny Rand. It had some real problems, some about race, some about just the, the show itself. Let's kind of redo that story in a much better way. Yeah, um, I have no idea how much that went into the thinking. Um, I mean, I know they very clearly were trying to subvert a lot of stereotypes and tropes. Uh, it mm-hmm. does feel very similar story-wise. Um, I I wonder whether, I, I don't know, I, I haven't really, really dug into, um, you know, what led them to do... Um, have a story centering kind of around Talo, but mm-hmm. it, it is kind of interesting. It's like, well, how does it relate to Kunlun, you know? And um, I, I have I have a lot of thoughts about Danny Rand as a character, um, mm-hmm. and I I think I. I, I, we recorded an episode or two of Iron Fist, where I think we went into yeah, that in so a lot greater detail. Just, I guess what I want to say about it is that I feel like if you had, I mean, maybe a little bit more different of a story, but like, mm-hmm. I feel like having, I'm more interested in seeing Danny Rand in a world that has Shang-Chi in it. Yeah, I can see and that. And be, because I don't think that the... Danny Rand's character is necessarily inherently problematic. I think what's problematic is um, that you have all these... Basically, you have all these characters that essentially... You you know, like basically trying to tell stories that involve basically any culture, but here we'll say like in Asian culture, and then you have a white protagonist, Right. Like, yeah. I don't think you should literally never do that. But I mm-hmm. think the fact that most of the time that's what people have done is a massive problem. And that's good enough reason to not do it for like maybe 10, 20, 50 years, whatever. But And that's actually kind of a nice uh, counterplay to the discussion we are having before about having the first Asian superhero on the big screen be a martial artist mm-hmm. is like, well, because we if not, then we continue having the only martial arts property be starring a white guy and that's also kind of bad so yeah like it's it's, it's I, I wonder if that was also a factor in the other direction there it could be i mean i think honestly just like they were like okay we've decided to i mean you know what i don't know exactly what their process is but somewhere along the line i think they probably thought well we need to have you know um a, a you know a, a movie with a black lead we need to have a movie with a female lead and maybe let's do a movie with a, an asian lead and like they're like okay black panther yeah oh captain marvel cool um hmm and like they yeah. <laughs> didn't have a long list, you know, of yeah. of characters, and and so they went with Shang Chi for whatever reasons. Maybe just somebody was like sold them on an idea, but I think they decided to do it before they actually had like the story. And the problem is like in the in the Netflix verse, they decided to go with Danny Rand as part of the Defenders um, before they like came up with the story. I think for what mm-hmm. Iron Fist was going to be, and like they could have just had Shang Chi then, you know. And yeah. you could have had Danny Rand I, and Shang Chi then, and like maybe that would have been better. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much of the, this was a part of it, but I know, <clears throat> I know Simu Liu, Simu Liu has been pushing for them to do uh, Shang Chi since like 2014 is when he first started tweeting about it. So like that could also be a big part of it. But yeah, it just it just made me happy to see, like, I, I do. Wi- this is more about the movie making than the ethics, but I do wish they'd kind of 
clarified a little more because I certainly walked out of the movie not sure if that was supposed to be Kunlun, oh. just in a different iteration. And then I was like, so where does this fall in the timeline? Oh, okay. And I, I've certainly heard from a lot of other people who are similarly confused uh, or wondering, like, why, why do all these places exist? Are they just copying the story? Um, but yeah, I, 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 in some ways, I think it would have been nice to tell a different version of the story, but I did think it was kind of a nice, like, yeah. There's some good parts about Iron Fist, but some parts we could have done better. And if we're doing a martial arts movie, we want to at least reference that a little bit. Yeah, um, I guess that just didn't really mm-hmm. register for me. And uh, I like I can mm-hmm. see that's the parallels, fair. but like it, it didn't yeah. really have any any meaning to me. Maybe if it does to, to some people, that's that's cool. Yeah. So what are for you? Any other kind of last thoughts to wrap this up? Uh, I, I should have like something coherent, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed the movie. I'm very glad it exists. It exists. Um, I wish it was available online right now because, you know, mm-hmm. I do think fewer people going to the theaters would be better. But people who aren't able to go to the theaters, being able to go to the theaters, uh, being able to see a movie, I think would be just like a pure positive. I understand the movie business has some issues I, I think a lot of that's like capitalism and like, that's a whole mm-hmm. thing, you know, but I, I really do hope this movie does well. It looks like it's going to, I'm glad about that. Yeah. Um, I'm like, one thing I'd say is that this movie did something that I hope there's more movies that do things like it, but it felt to me like a outstanding solo film. One of my favorites mm-hmm. that, clearly existed within the MCU but Mm -hmm. was its own story and that made sense that it was own story it wasn't like oh why didn't you call so and so it was like no this makes sense and it was like so like he to some extent it feels like it's almost like too late to have to do certain things that you didn't do back in the day but this kind of showed I feel like that's not true you can still do yeah, I, a solo film for any given person and it can make sense and it can be awesome and it can provide representation yeah. to a lot of people who you know maybe have not had such. Yeah, I, I think that's super important. And I like that they <clears throat> we've often talked about other movies or TV shows where we're like, but wait, why isn't Spider-Man helping the Defenders? Yeah. He protects New York like or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> and. I, I like that they did that. You know, they, they told the story in a way where it made sense that, like, you know, Falcon or, or Bucky or no one else was getting involved in this story, the way it was playing out, because they mostly didn't know about right. it. And um, I, I do think with the history thing, they have a little bit of a problem in that um, White Wolf is a role-playing game, uh, role-playing game system that Paul and I have both been very involved in, and we've both made the joke of, like, they've introduced so many shadowy oh, secret yeah, organizations yeah, yeah. that have been in charge of everything. And there's a little bit of, like... If the Mandarin, like, or if Wing Wu, the, the the joke about him being the Mandarin is fantastic, which also, by the way, check out the um, the Hail to the King short, because it goes more into that in a way I love. <clears throat> we haven't even talked about how awesome the character of Travis Slattery was in this, <laughs> but that's more a movie review part. <clears throat> but th- there is a point, like, they talked about how he conquered the world. There was nothing more he could do. And, like... We now have a number of groups in the MCU that apparently have had massive influence for the last thousands and thousands of years. And I'm kind of like, how, how are you all like bumping up into each other? Or what's going on right. there? But, but putting that small little detail aside, I think you're right. They did a great thing. And and this is more movie than ethics, but I'll just kind of make the quick dig because anyone who's listening to my What If uh, episode knows how I feel about this. I'm so glad that this had nothing to do with the movie. Oh, yes. And... 
I think this may this movie may get even better for me because I think it's going to be the last major Marvel property that isn't fundamentally about the madness of multiverses that we get for a while. And I'm uh, maybe Doctor Strange is going to be a much better movie than I think. I'm not excited about that right now. I've hated the way it's been handled up till now. Uh, so I just I was really glad that I was kind of worried that that movie would have some of it. I know with all the production schedules and stuff, it makes sense that it didn't. But it was just one more thing I loved about the movie. It was like it was a straightforward story told in a larger universe that didn't have reality bending and all this kind of stuff and timelines. It was just a story. Yeah, it stands on its own. And I, I really appreciate that. Just like as a movie, I've really been craving that in general. Yeah. And then also like when you do representation, like it's nice when that gets to stand on its own. You know, I think... It made yeah. sense that they set Captain Marvel in the past, you know, and Black yeah. Panther <clears throat> takes place in Wakanda primarily and or like here and there, you know. But um, I, I think you you, you want to let s- something stand on its own before you right. then bring everything together. So it's it's like doing a, you know, phase one again. That's not all white people. I mean, like, I, I, I remember hearing from a number of women who were like, I don't generally like Marvel movies, but I, I went to Captain Marvel and I loved right. it. And I can imagine with this, like, you, you may have a bunch, certainly a bunch of people who are like, I want to see a hero who looks like me or has had my experiences on screen. I was always one of people who were like, I hate Marvel, but I love martial arts movies, so I'll go see sure. this. So, yeah, yeah it, it being a movie that you didn't have to do homework for, you know, you, you could just watch the movie having never seen another MCU property and be a little confused in the middle of the credits, but sure, otherwise, sure. you know, totally get the movie. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, again, I, I just think that using the end credits then as a way to kind of draw the connections, I thought was also really smart for that reason. Yeah, for sure. Because it's like, okay, so by the way, this character is now a big deal in the MCU. Um, all these things are connected. Bye-bye. You know? <laughs> but, yeah. like, if you watch the movie <laughs> and stop before the end credits, like, you'd be fine. Um, yeah. And I will push back a little bit specifically on the Ten Rings. I totally hear what you're saying about having a thousand and one, um, you know, secret organizations. But they mm-hmm. have actually shown up throughout the, you know, the MCU. And so I feel like this actually oh, sure. kind of kind of ties that all together. And so you get this, like, I think really good combination of, like, you know, deep continuity, but not continuity that you really need to know about to enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. And similarly, like if you speak Mandarin, there are things about the movie you're going to appreciate that you won't. If you don't like, I only speak a little, well, I, I understand a little, I, I barely, I don't really speak it to anyone, but um, there's, there's just one line that I just want to give the kind of translation. That's not the translation given um, sure. where when he goes into the village um, and he's like, you know, uh, step aside, I've lived, what do you say, like 10 of your lifetimes or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the actual the actual Mandarin, literal, like the literal translation, I think, is like, um, I've eaten more years than you've eaten meals. Um, so, oh, that's fantastic. Like, I've lived more years than you've eaten meals, you know? And it's like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's. I think there's a lot of, like, poetry in the language. And, um, and yeah. there's a lot of little kind of like in jokes that you'll get that, that I, I mean, I, I didn't get, you know, I read about them and I understood yeah. maybe mm-hmm. half of the words in Mandarin, but like not half the sentences, mm-hmm. but like, yeah. I, th- that's another reason I wanted on streaming. Cause I just want to run scenes on repeat and be like, yeah, this is how I'm going to learn a language. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and, and, 
I think that's a great point. It's funny because I've been rewatching Star Trek and um, just last night I watched a Star Trek episode that a lot of it was about how like you can do word for word translation, but often idioms won't translate exactly. well. And I think that's a great example of one where like I, I feel like if you used that particular phrase as just the English thing that he said, it would be it would just kind of come off mm-hmm. weird. Because that it's so the but like knowing that that's the actual words he spoke because that's an idiom that like makes a lot more sense in that context. I love knowing about you know, yeah. and that'd be fun like to watch it like if subtitles had that in or mm-hmm. something like that. I'm not even um, sure that one is actually an idiom or if it's just kind of a poetic way of speaking, but there are definitely idioms um, throughout. Right. And I, when you mentioned Star Trek, I was like, oh, are you learning Klingon? Uh, you can learn it on Duolingo. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, and that's a better way of saying it. Yeah, it's not as much that's an idiom, but like. And maybe this is from stereotypes. Like I think that sort of poetry of language is something I often associate with translated Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in that, it's kind of, I think that's a better way to say it than an idiom. Yeah. So, all right. I, well, thank I, you so much for. Oh, I just want to say I'm, I wasn't saying that there aren't idioms, and and there's actually a whole thing of like four character idioms or whatever. Like that's a whole thing. Um, so I, right. I just meant that of in that very specific instance, I don't think that was literally an idiom, but. That, that is sense. everything you're saying is true in a general sense. Absolutely. Right. Definitely. Um, all right. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being a part of this. I'm so glad you could uh, uh, do this. I know you didn't do it for for me, but like I know whether or not you're going to watch the movie was a real thing. We were talking a lot about like, should we just wait six weeks to cover it? So I'm very glad you got to be a part of it. Thank you so much for giving us uh, two hours of your day when I know your family has got so much going on. Uh, my, my sense is that you kind of put a pause on your uh, content creation, but for people who want to see stuff you've created in the past and know where you're going to create stuff in the future, where should they check it yeah, out? Yeah, just Zen Madman on uh, Twitter and Twitch. You can follow me, and uh, when I do stuff, it'll be there. So, Paul, thank you so much. And also, uh, he's not here, but I really want to thank Will Freeland. Uh, Will and Steve Soroman are both part of the Hype is My Super Podcast. Hype is My Superpower podcast. Uh, they're both awesome podcasters. They, they, I'm not a comic book reader. They make me understand comic books on their podcast. They're really great. If you just listen to my What If episode, the one that came out um, just before this one, the one that came out just before this one, they were both guests on that. So uh, Will isn't here, unfortunately, but please check out uh, Hype is My Superpower. It's another great podcast. And for those who, who, if you're checking this out for the first time, thank you so much for being a part of this. As I said, would love to get a five-star review on iTunes specifically is the way to do it. Although, uh, and you know, even if you aren't in love with the show but have some helpful feedback, uh, you know, give us a four-star review, even a one-star review. Sometimes we can learn from. If you utterly hate the show and just want to tell me how terrible I am, you know, maybe just unsubscribe if this isn't for you. But, like, if you got some helpful feedback, how we can improve these things, we'd love to know it. Uh, and, of course, if you have feedback, yeah, what would you say? I just want to say, don't give a one-star review. Just stop listening. <laughs> just listen to something else. There's so much stuff. Also true. Yeah, I, I don't love... I just want to tell people, like, I don't want to, like, you know, be uh You can only tell me good things about my show. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Negative feedback is great. Constructive negative feedback. But, like, when you don't like something, just just find something else. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I would love to hear your thoughts on our discussion here, um, especially from, you know, if, if this movie really meant a lot to you because of representation or something else, uh, that if you've got some thoughts about what, what, what we have had to say, if you're someone uh, who like the movie really kind of made you think about new things in different ways or, or what we have had to say or you think we're totally wrong, let us know. You can write into us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook or Twitter at The Ethical Panda. Uh, And, of course, you can go to the website, theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find all my podcasts um, about this podcast, about my Star Wars podcast. Uh, I can now announce that I'm actually now on a new podcast 
the Marvel Movie Minute podcast, which is doing this awesome minute-by-minute review of a particular Marvel movie. Uh, I'm the one of the co-hosts for their coverage of Thor. So if you subscribe to the Marvel Movie Minute, uh, those will start coming out. Uh, next week, we're going to release one of our primer episodes, which is with uh, one of the original pandas, uh, Jeff Randall, uh, in which we're talking with him about the comic book origins of the character of Thor. It's a really fun episode. Uh, it's like most of the episodes are like 15, 20 minutes, just kind of diving into one particular moment. We go a lot into the movie making techniques, a lot into like we're going to have like people with PhDs in like Shakespearean studies and people who know all about Norse mythology and like all these different ways to talk about what might seem like a kind of lighthearted, fun movie. Nope, we are going to spend 213 episodes. Uh, no, I'm terrible with math. Uh, 126 episodes, whatever is like two hours plus about 13 minutes uh, going into it. Don't don't listen to this if you want a math podcast. That's not the thing here. Uh, but yes, yeah, so definitely check that out. I'm sitting here doing the math. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Please check out my other podcast. Please check out all the great podcasts on the Strand and Panda Network. The MCU cast has done yeah. their own great coverage of Shang-Chi. Definitely worth checking out. And the most important thing, watch those shows, listen to those movies, write their reviews, do the things. But most importantly, have a good day. 